All right, Lisa. Well, today is the day after MLK Day in the United States. How about that? I mean, it's so um, it's such a big deal here. And growing up in the United Kingdom, you know, it wasn't it wasn't a day that was celebrated. It wasn't um, mm-hmm. Dr. Martin Luther King wasn't a figure that we learned about. So, mm. you know, coming coming here, my learning about his teachings and his writings and speeches is fairly new as compared to most mm-hmm. people probably listening to this podcast. So I just think there's a ton that we can take from his work and his message. So I'm wondering what you're thinking could be a good, a good topic for us to talk about today. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, yeah, there's there's a lot to get from him. And, you know, one of the things I've been thinking about recently, I've been watching, you know, corporate and social media and so forth. And there's been a lot of apologies going on when it comes to the treatment of disenfranchised folks mm-hmm. in this country, mm-hmm. specifically Black folks with the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, and so given that, I'm just really interested to think out loud with you about apologies and not only the apology itself but what should happen afterward what what should be their lasting effect so let's just think that through what do we want to see happen as a result we know mlk was a strategist he wanted to see things happen and change so let's talk about the apology and their lasting effects i'm dr shauna payne gold and i go by she her her pronouns and i'm dr lisa ingefield and i go by she her hers Welcome to Unfazed, a podcast to disrupt your normal and challenge your brain to go the distance. So Lisa, I know that uh, you were pretty excited to look at that article I sent to you um, last week in regards to the Kansas City Star, right? Wasn't that interesting? Like digging up all of that history um, and publicly apologizing to African-Americans in their community. It's a really fascinating article. It, it was because it's so unheard of, right? Um, <laughs> right, right. I, I mean, I'm sure there are critiques of the um, apology, but it mm. was lengthy. It mm-hmm. was well-researched. It felt authentic. Um, mm. I don't feel like it shied away or the writers shied away from how um, their newspaper and the sister newspaper um, that no longer exists had perpetuated racism, perpetuated segregation, um, and per- perpetuated a toxic narrative about African-American and Black folks in Kansas City. Mm-hmm. I-, I mean, I feel like my read was that they took that head on, but obviously I'm a white person reading that. So my experience of it is likely different from yours. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I read it and yeah, I, I feel like mm, as a black person in this country, I'm agreeing with you 100% that apologies to African American communities are rare if they happen at all. And sometimes when they do happen, it it's kind of the qualifiers, you know, it's kind of like when someone that you care about says, well, I'm sorry if you felt XYZ way, or I'm sorry if there, there's just a qualifier to it. And I felt that this was exquisite when it comes to an apology because it didn't buffer it. You know, it didn't mm-hmm. apologize its way back out of the apology. <laughs> like sometimes I feel like, you know, people start the apology and then by the time they finish talking, it's like, okay, you would have been better off just not saying anything because you just apologized your way out of an apology. Um, but this one I felt was 
meaningful. I felt like it was authentic. And I feel like, and <laughs> I think one of the first rules to social media, right, is when they tell us not to read the comments. Um, I, I happened yeah. to look at uh, one of the comments. I did not read all of them, uh, but one of them was by the amazing uh, Dr. Carlton Green, who is my colleague over at University of Maryland. And, you know, he just brought up the point that uh, the apology was not to say that there had necessarily even been bad journalism. You know, so we're not even going there with it. We're simply saying that or the article was simply saying that it was incomplete journalism and it was incomplete to the point that it consistently disenfranchised black folks in Kansas City and consistently wrote a narrative that was not positive of black people. And so what I so appreciated mm -hmm. about that was acknowledging what they had already done, good, bad, or indifferent, but then also acknowledging how the framework was incomplete. You know, so it, it kind of feels like, um, Lisa, I know you've done this before in the classroom where you've had, you know, one case study where a situation happened, but then you had your students to examine the very same case study from different perspectives. So, you know, examining slavery from a Black perspective, from a Asian perspective, from a fill-in-the-blank perspective, we all think we're looking at the same thing, but there are lots of different nuances. It's almost like looking into a prism where you're not going to see the same color. You're going to see lots of different colors, and that's what creates a fuller story. And so I, I just appreciated how they acknowledged the past, but also um, acknowledged what they were going to do differently moving forward. It was exquisite, I thought. Yeah, and it makes me think of there's that TED Talk um, Mm -hmm. by the author um, Adichie Chimamanda Adichie, I think her name is. Um, mm -hmm. And she uh, did a TED talk called The Danger of a Single Story. Um, and I think that was what the Kansas mm. City Star really yeah. grappled yeah. with, right? Yeah. In saying yeah. that that was, that was what we did. Um, it wasn't, mm -hmm. we, didn't, we didn't underline the complexity of these situations. We presented one story and that was dangerous. Um, and they acknowledged that. And, you know, the, the piece that I thought was really interesting, well, it wasn't interesting. I mean, I, I just thought it was good is that they said, um, like most Metro newspapers of the early to mid 20th century, the star was a white newspaper produced by white reporters and mm -hmm. editors for white readers and advertisers. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. and that completeness of whiteness right? Yes, um, yes, in yes. its kind of life cycle, I think was an important admission. And I don't think it's an admission that we see in endurance sport. You know, I don't mm -hmm. think we see that same acknowledgement from foundations, uh, yeah. national governing bodies, clubs, mm -hmm. organizations, brands, Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah. The the acknowledgement of the whiteness, because, you know, that's that's the quote that uh, Abby Wambach talked about, where she started moving her language from diversity to representation because diversity was consistently acknowledging whiteness and saying we're trying to diversify from whiteness. That's what she was saying with the use of the language diversity, rather than saying we want everyone to be represented. And it was clear in the Kansas City Star that they were acknowledging how whiteness has been the center of their history. And we have not done that in endurance sport. We have not acknowledged that whiteness has been the center. Um, in fact, it's 
oh, this is the unlabeled default that every other non-white person sees yes. has been the consistency, yes. but white people don't want to see that they have been the consistency. And so, you know, given that I, I don't necessarily, you know, I, I think that's the challenge. And I think I don't necessarily try to shove it down people's throats other than being on this podcast right now. Um, but I do think that acknowledgement piece is a big piece of an apology. It's like, you know, you can't say I'm going to fix what's broken unless you acknowledge what's broken. And that's been the broken right. part of our, our sport is that, you know, you can't fix it until you acknowledge that it's broken. And, and we haven't done that. Yeah, and I think one of the interesting pieces around apologies for behaviors that have been perpetuated historically that you mm -hmm. as a present day 2020, 2021, 2022 person um, may yeah. not have been directly involved in is this, well, then it's not my fault, right? I have nothing uh, to do Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. As though the mm -hmm. those historical behaviors don't reverberate today. And the Kansas City um, authors, journalists who wrote that piece, acknowledged that those historical um problems, missteps, atrocities that they perpetuated in their writing absolutely reverberate in 2020, 2021, 2022 Kansas City. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and that's, you know, that's my uh, axe to grind when it comes to, you know, journalism, social media, et cetera, is that, you know, how is it that, you know, when you when an alleged crime has been committed by a white male, it's the picture with the, you know, it's the graduation picture with the tux and the, and the bow tie on. But even when the black child or black male is a victim, then we see him with his hat turned around back, you know, hoodie, et cetera. And nothing wrong with that either. But again, you don't see the black male's graduation picture thrown up there you know you just don't see that um mm -hmm. and so there was I, I need to go back and find that website maybe i can drop the link into the show notes um but there was this entire social media campaign going on that was reframing the visual of black males in this country because i, I remember this was a few years ago when i had one of my students to do a project on um it was on representation in uh journalism social media in the public, et cetera. And I asked him to focus on men of color who were dressed quote unquote professionally. And he was able to define professionally in whatever way he wanted to. And he did a search and pulled out, you know, a lot of things. The majority of what he found, frankly, were our 44th president, President Barack Obama. That was the lion's share of the men of color that he found that were quote unquote professionally dressed. And so when I look at, you know, the mm. Kansas City Star and, and other media outlets, and I rarely ever see a man of color featured in a way that's not perpetuating some type of trope, that's the problem. And, and, and that reinforces yeah. thoughts that aren't true. I'm not saying that people don't wear hoodies, but, you know, I, I remember, you know, when... You know, there was a time where my oldest son was being born and his dad walked into the hospital and had on a hoodie and there were some preconceived notions of who he is, who he was and what he was there for. Um, and he's an attorney, but there was this trope, this assumption of who he was, who he wasn't and why he was there. And so, you know, journalism, I'm, I'm so proud that this particular paper took responsibility for how they've perpetuated the tropes that are ridiculous and incomplete. I, I love the use of the language around mm -hmm. incomplete. And so, uh, you know, going back to that, I, I think 
they did a great job when it comes to that portion of the apology where, you know, they did explain what they've done incorrectly. And I can't help but think that they did that in consultation with the Black community, with others in the community, so that they could accurately narrate what went wrong in that. So I, I think that's a key component mm-hmm. to an apology. Yeah. So what else do you think um, if we're going to help people think about um, how they can apologize effectively and meaningfully? What else mm-hmm. would you say that is an important component of an apology and perhaps what the Kansas City Star and others have demonstrated? Ooh, well, well, let's <laughs> well, Lisa, let's let's brainstorm real quick, real quick before we go into what's in a good apology, we know very clearly what's in a piss poor apology. <laughs> like we, we know what, what sucks. In an yes. apo- like, you know, like, um, you know, not fully acknowledging the outcomes or the pain that happened or um, telling someone how they should feel in order to walk their way out of an apology. You know, if, if you only felt this way, then you wouldn't even expect an apology. There's just so many things that we know we have heard that uh, built this raggedy apology that frankly, they would have been better off not even saying. <laughs> like they should have I, just kept their message. So I know we have a laundry list of those things first. I think that's key. Yeah, I do think that it's really easy to, to point to the things you shouldn't do like that. I'm sorry right. if you feel that you need an apology. Right, um, exactly. exactly. Yeah, and, uh, uh, and then, or, um, you know, oh, timeliness no. even. I remember yeah. we talked yes. about timeliness, like, you know, that that person that it's almost like you had to, their arm had to be twisted for them to even see that there was a need for an apology. So that that takes a longer time period. You know, there's so many things that can go wrong with an apology. <laughs> Yeah. And I think it's interesting because I do think apologies themselves are um, stratified based on social identities. Right. So I think that we can all probably point to individuals in our mm-hmm. lives who struggle with apologizing. Right. Like oh, goodness. Someone yes. someone steps on your foot and they just can't bring themselves to say that they're sorry for doing that because it was really your fault for putting your foot in that place at that time. Right. Yes. And, yes, you know, yes, we all have yes, those people yes. in our lives. But I think that there's <laughs> Um, kind of imbued in that resistance to apology, I think is whiteness, um, entitlement. I think there's maleness in there. I also think that for women um, across all racial identities, there's a socialization of apologies and to the point where the apology becomes meaningless Mm -hmm. because, Mm -hmm. you know, and I catch myself doing this. Mm -hmm. Oh, I'm sorry that I'm late. I'm sorry that I didn't respond to you. Sorry, sorry, sorry. And I'm sure there are women listening to this that uh, can relate to that, that the word sorry just kind of flows out of our mouths um, Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. we're so... um, socialized to do that but then the word sorry doesn't mean anything right because there's nothing behind it because it's a reflex oh yeah absolutely and and this is what I love though Lisa is that when you find that really strong woman that so let's say I come in and I'm so sorry I forgot to respond to that email or I'm five minutes late I love that strong woman like I can hear you say Lisa oh please do not apologize it is completely fine would a man apologize for that? No. So you don't apologize either. You're here, mm-hmm, be yourself. Mm-hmm. I, I I almost feel as if women and people of color sometimes ec- apologize so much that they're apologizing out of even existing. Like, I, I am yes. so sorry I'm taking yes. up air to breathe right now because I yes. feel like I'm constantly inconveniencing people just for living, just for being in this space. Right, right. And you don't see that same level of um, apology from white people. 
Mm-hmm. white right. men right um and right. it's stratified again right so yeah. and then you know and depending on the context too right so mm-hmm. a person with disabilities um i would imagine is also apologizing in some in a particular context right that is yes. advantageous to able-bodied people as though mm-hmm. their yeah their existence in that space in that athletic space because we know that that's a horribly ableist environment oh um, yeah of course it, it yep. is a detriment is a pain is a um, problem, right? When you know it really what, should but, be the other way around. Oof. And you're reminding me of several times we know how it goes in transition, right? Where we're, we're setting up for transition, you know, someone has slid your bike over or moved your stuff over, what have you. Every time that that has happened to me, it's been a man every single time. Mm. It's never been a woman. And when a woman needed more space or needed me to kind of scoot over or what have you, they always waited until I arrived there and asked me if it was okay for us to make more space. And it was completely amicable, but yeah, you're, you're, which the symbolism is literal, you know, who's taking up space and who, who isn't apologetic for taking up space either. That's another piece of it. Um, But yeah, you're just reminding me of a few things just in, you know, races and sport in general where that's happened. And I, I can't recall one time that it's been a man that apologized. It's just like, Oh, let me, throw your bike over here and your shoes over there. And I got to make space because I'm out here to win this thing or, or yes. whatever they're thinking. Yes. So, yeah, yeah, that's very true. So, all right. So, well, we know there's a few things that are important because, so I dug up this study um, that was conducted at Ohio state. They had about a little under 800 participants in this study. And based on those participants, they came up with at least six different elements of a really good apology. Um, So these components are there. Now, what's interesting, Lisa, is that it's almost like you can't unsee it anymore. Now, once we've heard or seen these six steps, now we're going to be looking for them all the time whenever somebody apologizes. But um, so they go through these six things. The first is an expression of regret. Then second, an explanation of what went wrong. Third, acknowledging responsibility for what went wrong. Fourth, a declaration of repentance. So basically turning away from what they've done in the past. Fifth is offering to repair. So, you know, what can I do to fix it? And then the last piece is a request for their forgiveness. And so, you know, when I read this study, I thought, oh, that is so fascinating because I have heard apologies that it did not include not one piece of this. And that person thought it was a great apology. It was not a great apology. Um, But then, you know, I have also been... (laughs) I've been guilty of being that person that really doesn't give a crap about the apology because I think that there are some individuals that all they want is the verbal acknowledgement of the wrong. And then that's it. And it stops mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. Whereas I'm the type of person where I, I almost don't care if you ever acknowledge it verbally, I'm going to be watching your actions from here on out. And I need to see those actions change. So you know, what happens when you have that, you know, person that apologizes every single time, but they continue to do it every single time. So I, I posted a meme on, on my Facebook page the other day that was basically blasting this family that continued to dead name a trans family member. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, they still apologized every time they did it, but they never changed the behavior and they right. did it for a couple of years. Right. And so was that an apology or was that just a verbal acknowledgement? I don't want verbal acknowledgements. I want something more. Yeah, there's, I mean, I think it's easy to tell when there's no depth behind it, right? And um, mm-hmm. that change in behavior 
is really, really important. I think, you know, don't yeah. make, don't yeah. make the same mistake twice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, and even, you know, with the, you know, they're talking about that whole declaration of repentance, you know, turning around from what you were doing to turn to do something new. I even appreciate the, the failing forward piece of it. Right. So I, and I'm going to mm. share my, my own little story as an example of that, where um, I'm misgendered an individual and I immediately apologized for what I did. And i worked with that person, you know, for years after that. Um, but I, it took me some time because I'd known that person for 20 some years as one gender and that person transitioned and I still wanted to honor that person, but it did take my brain some time to flip the switch to make the changes. Yeah. And so, um, you know, for a couple of weeks after that, I, a slip of the tongue to misgender that individual, but the person didn't have to correct me. I corrected myself and apologized once again publicly and corrected what I said and moved on to the next thing. And so, you know, are we even seeing any progress with, the, you know, I'm not saying that everyone has to be perfect all the time, but how do you continue to do better and show a concerted effort um, moving forward? I, I think that's important for someone who has been, whether it's misgendered or, or misnamed or any of that, I, I think all of that is important to show the depth of sincerity of the change, mm-hmm. the, the turning mm-hmm. away from previous behavior. Yeah. And that the rep- responsibility piece, I think is probably where a lot of people struggle, right? Um, mm-hmm. Because no one, well, I would say no one, most people, um, I would say don't, intend to or want to create harm um, or hurt other people's feelings Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. or send a negative message, right? But the the, um, acknowledgement through taking responsibility that that has actually happened feels too much. Um, Mm -hmm. It feels overwhelming. And so then those apologies kind of try to wriggle out of the responsibility versus what you did there in your example around taking responsibility for the fact that you had misgendered this person, correcting yourself and then apologizing and moving on, right? I think there's this sticking point, particularly when we're talking about things around race and gender and ability and sexual orientation, um, where this uh, the person who's created the harm doesn't want to be labeled as sexist, racist, ableist, homophobic, right? So they do everything mm-hmm. that they can That's to... Right. Um, scaffold an apology without actually apologizing because they don't want to take (laughs) responsibility for it. Right. Because then that says something about them, Mm -hmm. which I think doing, doing that action, that kind of gymnastics um, around to avoiding taking responsibility says more about the person than taking the responsibility, owning the mistake and moving forward. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. It, it is, uncomfortable to even watch sometimes people make an apology. Um, It's because you can sense the discomfort and, and my, I'll, I'll even share with my challenges sometimes, even with apologies is especially for those that really are thoughtful in what they do, that just because you're thoughtful, that doesn't mean that you're not going to make mistakes. And so I used to think, well, I was thoughtful. I did this very intentionally. I did it with the best intentions and the best heart. So why should I have, why should I have to apologize because the outcomes didn't match my good intentions? And I had to get over that crap. 
And so, you know, th there will be times where, you know, things don't work out the way you think um, or you thought I was doing I was doing what's best for this particular group without consulting them. Um, and then it goes left. Well, there still is harm uh, to to an individual or a group. And so all of that is important. You know, one of the things that really stunned me about, well, all the things that stunned me about um, Obama's most recent book, A Promised Land, was that they had um, a great section in the book that specifically talked about walking through concentration camps. And so um, President Obama walked through concentration camps with Angela Merkel, as well as with um, Elie Wiesel. And what was so profound about that, Lisa, I hope you don't mind if I just read a little snippet of it because I don't want to mess it up. No, go for um, it. But um, in the book, it talks specifically about how um, they had some remarks after they walked through the concentration camps. And Angela Merkel, she acknowledged, she spoke clearly and humbly, I quote, Merkel spoke clearly and humbly of the necessity for Germans to remember the past, to wrestle with the agonizing question of how their homeland could have perpetuated such horrors and recognize the special responsibility, Lisa, responsibility they now shouldered to stand up against bigotry of all kinds. And then they go on to say that, you know, they're leaving Buchenwald with resolve to try to bring about peace and to use the memory of what had happened on the ground where we stood to see past anger and divisions and find strength in solidarity. So that's what Elie Wiesel uh, concluded with. There was not an attempt to overlook or even to forget what has happened in the past. In fact, they want to hold on to it, hold on to it tightly in ways that serve them. And I really feel strongly that, um, you know, the U.S. is one country and, and i need to, I wish I was a global scholar, I'm not. Um, but the US has been very clear on how we have skipped over the acknowledgement part and just ran right, straight right. into the do better part. And I'm like, how can you do better if you don't know what you're doing better for, about, with? <laughs> it, just, it just, it feels like it's missing the entire foundation of the mm -hmm. do better part. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's like, I've, I've said before, you can't fix it unless you know what's broken, unless you acknowledge that it's broken in the first place. And I don't think this country has done that. I don't think no. endurance sports has done it. I mean, we got a ways to go here. Yeah, I agree. And I, um, it's, you know, interesting, my perspective, not growing up in the United States and um, kind of co coming late to the learning around the U.S.'s history of enslaving African people and all of its reverberations to the current day, mm. it feels like quite the gaping hole mm. that there hasn't been some formal yeah. pr process, apology, state response. Um, you know, I'm not really sure what it would be but there just feels like a little bit of a silence um yeah. that you know germany clearly hasn't um you know mm -hmm. hasn't stuck with and then i'm thinking canada also i believe um mm, yeah. had a formal apology to indigenous um people and i believe perhaps australia did and new zealand also so, mm -hmm. you know, I'm not sure what yeah. that is about with the United States, this 
absolute resistance for modern day white people mm-hmm. to um, really confront the historical legacy of slavery in this country and how it benefits them now mm-hmm. and doing something mm-hmm. about it. Well, and so maybe, I don't know, Lisa, I'm stretching my brain here on this because I feel like it, it's kind of like what I was saying personally is that I did this with a certain intention thinking that it was going to benefit an entire community and it disenfranchised an entire community. This was well thought out. Anybody that has even done a cursory read or understanding of slavery knows that that was some well thought out strategy. That It was not just, oh, let me just find some people to work. This was a an economic strategy that was used for years going into Jim Crow. And so given that, I almost feel like they were coming from a place where I was coming from previously around this was well thought out and well intentioned, but we didn't realize or we don't want to realize that we dehumanized an entire group of people. And so because my intentions were fair or prudent or perceived as wise, I don't feel like I need to apologize for it. So I'm not gonna. I I am the Mm -hmm. United States of America and I am quote unquote, the greatest country in the world. And given all of my great intentions, I should not feel the need to apologize right. to anyone. And that's straight up pride. I mean, it's yeah, it, yeah. It's, it's pride, but uh, so many things. Let me just stop right there. So many things that I feel with that. Yeah. yeah. And there's, there's not been an offer. There has not really been an apology or an acknowledgement of responsibility. And there's not really been an offer of repair. Right. And even the, you know, offer of repair through perhaps reparations, which is certainly a subject that's come up time and time again um, in the kind of larger social and political context Mm -hmm. um, is very contentious, um, you know, and hence it doesn't really go anywhere. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't know that endurance sport necessarily needs to as a large entity offer reparations that's not necessarily what I'm saying but like some semblance of Mm. recognition um that there is repair that needs to happen yeah yeah exactly well (laughs) we still have people in this country that still are pissed off that they lost the civil war I mean whatever it's it's (laughs) and I don't mean to seem so flippant but it's it's denial in so many ways there's just so many levels of denial (laughs) um that that we need to just replay the the resistance episode (laughs) just insert it right here because there's so many um levels to the resistance and reasons for the resistance that i think just go right into this that prevent the apology and and as much as it's uncomfortable it also becomes so freeing because the yeah. apology sets the agenda for what needs to happen next for repair. And, and that mm-hmm, if it mm-hmm. doesn't happen, then I feel like because the United States has not had an official apology, then we don't have a clear roadmap on all the things that need to happen moving right. forward. Right. And, and so we've robbed ourselves now of strategy. So we have a bunch of people doing a lot of stuff. Um, but it's not strategic moving the entire country in a particular direction, the way in which Germany has done it and Canada, as you mentioned, it it just doesn't feel strategic to me. Yeah. And I bet there's people that would argue that, um, Germany's accountability and responsibility and apology associated with the Holocaust is not the same as, um, the U S is history of enslavement mm-hmm. and oppression and violence and genocide, right? Mm-hmm. I, I'm sure that there's some cognitive, 
splitting, right? Of like, Mm -hmm. that is not an apples to apples comparison. Right, right. And I I, I feel like it is kind of an apples to apples comparison, right? But um, folks in the United States, uh, white people in the United States, I should be more Mm -hmm. specific, Mm -hmm. are perhaps not willing to do that. So it makes sense that Angela Merkel would say, here's what Germans need to do, right? Um, Mm -hmm. Yep. But it doesn't make sense for modern day white Americans to say, here's what we need to do. Right, right, exactly. No, it it doesn't make sense. Well, and, you know, I think part of that too (laughs) is connected to, it's kind of like what we shared last week, I believe, where we showed that timeline of, it really hasn't been that long since folks were enslaved in this country. You know, my, my grandmother's mother was enslaved. So, and that's not that long ago. Um, so, you know, given that, I think people assume that this is ancient history and it's not ancient history. It is historical, mm-hmm. but it's not yeah. ancient history. And so those remnants of all of that, I mean, you know, we still, my mother, who's in her late 60s, literally picked tobacco and so you know my grandmother's mother was enslaved picked tobacco picked cotton so let's not make it seem like this is ancient history these are people that i knew grew up with and and love and some are still living that are still part of this when you can hear the interviews or have conversations with people who have witnessed lynchings that are still alive right now let's not act like it's ancient history and so you know i think all of this to be said, I, I admire Merkel and her statement and, and Germany's um, acknowledgement because that's a huge step. Um, you know, think about how it feels personally when somebody acknowledges, oh, they actually get not only what hurt me, how it hurt me, the depths to which it hurt me. Right now we can move forward. Mm-hmm. But yeah. if you don't feel like the person got it fully, then it's like, how, how can they repair it if they don't even really know right. all the extent of the pain, the hurt, the mm-hmm. all of that? Yeah. yeah. And that's where that self-education comes in. And we've talked about that before on the uh, podcast, that yes. it's really important that people with privilege educate themselves versus leaning on and relying on folks who've experienced oppression for generations to tell you um, mm-hmm. so that you can begin to understand the depths. And, you know, the timeliness piece, I'm coming back to that timeliness piece because yeah, yeah. Um, certainly if the United States were to do some kind of formal apology and do some kind of repair tomorrow, I don't right. think we could argue that was timely. <laughs> oh God, no. Mm-mm. Right, right, right. It's well, and and I don't know. Tell me what you think, Lisa, about this. I, I it's like a sweet spot for the timing on apologies because we've talked about this with, for example, Iron Man's response to Black Lives Matter, you know, et cetera. You don't want the apology to be too quick because it seems like a knee-jerk response, like we've mentioned before, but you also don't want it to take forever because then it feels like it's disingenuous and someone um, twisted someone's arm. It it was a forced apology that wasn't authentic. So, you know, the timing of the sweet spot of the apology is is important as well. Yeah. And so, I mean, I... I imagine we have perhaps complicated the apology for everyone in this discussion and we we haven't necessarily provided you with a clear answer, but I do think those six Mm -hmm. items that uh, you read out from that Ohio state uh, research can be a good um, 
yeah. uh, p- pathway, perhaps mm-hmm. to start thinking about what is it that you need to do in endurance sports. I mean, because you're going to make mistakes, right? So you're going to make mistakes on Instagram. You're going to make mistakes in your club. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's things that need to be addressed. And if you are unwilling to engage in an authentic um, process of apology with the people that you've harmed, then you're part of the problem. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, so I'm, I'm not going to open up this complete can of worms, but I'm just going to say too, that, you know, when it comes to this, the acknowledgement of the apology, you know, it's kind of sad, right? Because if you're not apologizing for something that may also indicate you're not doing enough, which that Mm -hmm. is also harmful. And so, because we know people don't want to do certain things or step out there because they're afraid they're going to make mistakes. Lisa and I are going on record right now to say you absolutely 100% will make mistakes. So that's a foregone conclusion. It's it's almost like riding your bike. You're going to fall. Given that you're going to fall, then how are you going to recover? And the apology is, crucial to how one recovers, Mm -hmm. how a Mm tri-club recovers, how a a business recovers. And so the falling, the mistakes are the foregone conclusion here. Yeah, I I agree. And, you know, there's one very explicit example um, within endurance sports that I've been um, trying to find through this podcast. And it was the brand Wazelle um, had made claim to a a t-shirt that Mm -hmm. um, talked about, um, it had a series of statements related to uh, kind of anti-racist, anti-oppression sentiment. And yeah. uh, there was a claim made that that was designed by the Wazelle's founder's um, brother or oh. sister. Uh-huh. And it blew up on Instagram because the owner, the designer of the T-shirt, a woman of color, um, called them out, called her uh, Sally, mm. the founder of Wazelle and Wazelle out. And the apology was... Uh, <laughs> messy shall we say right 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 um, right yeah you can probably go back and, and find this on Wazelle and I think mm-hmm. that you know the owner of Wazelle is a white woman and uh, you yeah. know I think that there was some attempt to be authentic in the apology but it was delayed um uh, it was, gotcha it didn't really take responsibility um for mm-hmm. the misstep um it tried to kind of paper over and provide excuses as to why the thing happened Mm. um, and -hmm. to provide excuses for the brother or sister who was originally dubbed as the author incorrectly, right? Uh, Versus just just accepting that you (laughs) did it wrong, you claimed something that wasn't yours and that's Mm -hmm. a problem, right? Because Mm -hmm. you're white and the owner and founder is a Mm -hmm. person of color. And so it just, yeah, it just spiraled um, Uh, very publicly. Mm, once again, another example. <laughs> and, and so, all right. So Lisa, one of the, um, the, the frames, I guess we need to put around those six steps around the apology. We've already framed it with timeliness. We might want to also frame it with consulting with the communities that mm-hmm. were most offended to ensure yes. that it's landing the way you t- intend. I think that would be helpful. (laughs) That would be very helpful. Yeah. And then I would, I would add to that. If you, as a brand owner, a tri club, um, a cycling club, if you're, you look around and you're like, huh, I don't really have people to go to. Exactly. (laughs) To check in about this, then 
that's also a problem, right? Ding, ding, ding. Exactly. We've got lots of lights going off here for things that are a problem. <laughs> oh, that is so true. Absolutely. So, uh, well, I, I think we've given folks a lot to chew on when it comes to this apology. Um, uh, Ohio State is saying that it's a science. I would suggest that it's an art and a science yeah. when it comes to this. Um, but Lisa, yeah, maybe we can um, link the Kansas City Star article as well as the Ohio State study mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. people can kind of take a glance at that and, and see what they think and, you know, process that we will all stumble and it's a matter of are, are we well-versed in the apology and over the years as i've learned mm -hmm. about other communities let me just tell you the apology game gets strong because you're going to make lots of mistakes in the attempts and and i think it's valuable to learn it, it's a skill i, I would say it's a, a cultural competency skill at this point if i really want to get down to it yeah yeah absolutely and the mm. authenticity of your apology is what's really important i think absolutely um, and absolutely. you know because i i if you've been harmed you can see through a mm -hmm. surface level apology like, absolutely immediately absolutely yeah so so lisa so i suggest for our homework going into um the next week or so is um definitely to think through um apologies that maybe we have offered that did not land as well as they they should have um notice when we have to apologize to folks over the next week which i'm sure i will <laughs> I'll be apologizing with some missteps um, and also, you know, just reconnecting it back to Dr. King, because one of the things I love about all of his teachings is mm -hmm. um, that it's not just the apology, but it's the what next. You know, I, I yeah. will completely mess up Dr. King's quote, but he often talked about how, you know, I always want to do better and and over yonder will be great in, in heaven. However, I want a, a nice suit and shoes down here on earth, meaning that I want to see this come to fruition. I want to see better come mm -hmm. to fruition. And so it's, it's our hope that the apology and the resulting work of the apology really makes life and community better for everybody we come in contact, I would say. Unfazed, a podcast produced by Live Feisty Media and supported by the Outspoken Women in Triathlon Summit. Edited and produced by the fabulous Lindsay Glassford. Email us at info at unfazedpodcast.com and find us on social at try to defy at Dr. Gold Speaks or at Outspoken Women in Try. I'm Lisa. I'm Shauna. Thanks for listening. Stay unfazed, folks. See you next time.